This is episode 58. It's called May Re Christmas. Uh, hello. I am so exhausted from the allergies. I think I'm taking too much medicine. I think I'm overdosing on allergy pills. Um, so Avery told you the title of this episode. It's not actually the title. Um, that's the one I gave her to read because if I got her to read the real title, which is when and how do we come clean about holiday legends, then that would just elicit way too many questions of which I have no answers. Hence the topic of this podcast episode, which is what, what do we do about holiday lies? That would be a good title. Anyway, you might think it's weird that I'm talking about holidays and in particular Christmas in May. So I was on Facebook the other day being very productive as you do on Facebook. And one of those Facebook memories popped up, which don't you love hate those? Like I see them and then I feel equal parts happy and sad because it's all going so fast. Anyway, um, there was a video and an image of uh, my family celebrating Christmas two years ago in May, because we had Christmas in May. And um, it made me think, you know what, this would be a good question to pose to my fellow parents in the disability community. The question being, when do we, or do we ever, do we even ever even tell our intellectually disabled kiddos um, the truth? Wait, hold on. Content warning. This episode is for adult ears only. So if you are a child, uh, this one is not for you. It's going to be super boring. So just go do something fun. Okay, I'm back. As I was saying, when do we or do we even ever have to tell our kids who have intellectual disabilities the truth about the key players in certain holiday legends like S. Claus and the E. Bunny, you know? And how do we make this decision? And why might we even need to make it? So that is the topic. So let's just dive right into it. Hey, everyone. It's a very bright life. It sure is. Your life is so bright. I've got to wear shades. We are so happy that you're here with us. Let's do this thing. The struggle to keep the magic alive for our kids is totally real. And the magic that I'm struggling with in particular is holiday magic and the characters associated with the holidays. And what I'm wondering is, uh, is it, is it okay? Is it morally all right to boldface lie to our children about Santa and the Easter bunny and uh, the creepy tooth, tooth fairy? Like, I understand that it's tradition and all that, and it's meant to be fun and good-natured and everything, but where is the line? Like, is there a line? And where would that be located? Because that's that's what I'm wondering. Because from everything that I have read, um, the most common advice that I found is just to follow our kids' lead. And that's all kids, like typical and atypical kids. Like, when they start asking the questions about, you know, the characters, that's when we should probably consider letting them in on the secret. Ugh, I hate the word secret. That word makes me completely uncomfortable. Because we teach our children 
to be honest and trustworthy, but then we go ahead and we lie to them and we ask them to keep these secrets from their younger siblings or their friends or whatever. And that has never really sit right with me, you know, but of course I play along because it's a tradition and that's what we do. That's what parents do. That's what parents have always done. But um, what about kids with intellectual disabilities? Like some of them may never start asking those questions. So in that case, do we just keep on with the holiday character charade or do we finally fess up and just explain it to them? It's a tricky one. And I don't think there's a straight answer. I think it's, I think it's very situational. That's what I'm thinking. But because I mean, Avery is nearly 16 years old and she still totally um, believes in Santa. And I mean, she doesn't question the plausibility either of a giant bunny breaking into our house every spring to like (laughs) pack, pack along a big bag of chocolates and hide them all around underneath our couch cushions. Like she thinks that's completely legit. And it occurred to me this past Easter, like how bizarre that is, like the whole Easter bunny situation. Um, Because I had to explain to her recently that Max and Ruby, the characters, you know, in the cartoon are not real because she was begging me if she could meet them in real life. And I was like, Avery, those stories are made up and there's an artist and they draw the cartoons and they make up the story. And I had to explain that actual real animals don't wear clothes unless they're an animal or like a dog and a cat specifically in our house (laughs) because they totally do against their will. Poor things. Anyway, they're very cute. Um, Yeah. So I explained that to her yet. I let her continue to believe that there's some large bunny with the cognitive ability to be able to plan a break-in to hide chocolates around our house. It's completely ridiculous. And I know lots of kids, especially lately with the level of uncertainty and anxiety in the world, feel unsafe. So parents everywhere are constantly reassuring their kids that their homes are safe and a secure place and it's, you know, it's all good. However, if they should happen to lose a tooth, a rogue fairy will will break and enter and sneak into their room when they're sleeping to steal their teeth. So <laughs> that's comforting. Uh, how does this make sense? I don't know. And I, I don't know. I guess the concept of Santa, though, is a bit more plausible. Or dare I say, Santa plausible. <laughs> oh, God, that was terrible. Actually, that was really good. I'm going to write that one down for another time. Anyway, um, outside of the idea that Santa can travel around the globe delivering presents to every single kid in one night and also have access to houses that don't even have chimneys or whatever. I guess the rest of the story could probably make a bit of sense. Like that Santa just wants to bring joy to children by giving them each a gift every year. Like that's fine. The sentiment behind Santa is obviously very lovely. And I read that the origin of the Santa story um, like really comes from a place like a, a place of desire for giving. And so apparently Nicholas, this, there's a real guy named Nicholas. I don't know if he was a saint yet, not sure, but he secretly gave money to these three sisters whose father didn't have enough money for their dowry so they couldn't get married. So from story says, legend says that during the night he snuck money into the girl's stockings, but the girl's dad caught Nicholas while he was doing that. And Nick asked the dad to keep his his secret. So hence the beginning of the 
lifelong secret. And I guess that's a secret I can get behind because it's it's a good one. But then but then I feel like Santa and secular Christmas became more about giving it was than receiving. It was a bit more um commercial. And the whole Santa Claus and Christmas stocking situation became based on this fictional story that kids have to be good in order to get a present. And if they're naughty, they'll be completely shunned. And let's not even get into the whole thing about Santa being able to see them at all times. Like that is very creepy, even creepier, I think, than the tooth fairy. So lying to our children who are supposed to trust us aside, at what point do we let the kids in on the secret? Like for my son, I can't remember how old he was. I want to say he was like maybe grade two or grade three. I'm not quite sure, but he started asking the questions and it was obvious that he wasn't buying into the whole charade any longer. So, you know, I'm going to share what we said to him and why it made sense to us in a minute. But first, I'm going to read something that I wrote about how I nearly ruined the magic of Christmas a few years ago for all of us and how um, we ended up salvaging the secret. And I'll add before I start that that wasn't the first time that I did that. We almost wrecked Christmas twice. We nearly blew Santa's cover for Avery's brother when he was little, and we had to lie our faces off after that to convince him that Santa was real. And I can't believe I did it again. I, I can believe it, actually. It was almost the exact same scenario. Yeah, Avery and Sebastian's parents are not the most clever parents, so let's just leave it at that. Anyway, okay, so here is why we celebrated Christmas in May. This happened back in May 2019, and now I will regale you with my, if I can find my reading glasses. Hold on. I can't see a bloody thing. Okay. I'm on my way out to buy ingredients for a full-on Christmas dinner in May, and I need Christmassy cookies and eggnog if I can find it. I realize this is weird and probably impossible, but when you screw up royally and nearly ruin all future Christmases, again, this wasn't the first time I made this mistake, well, you just do what you gotta do. Updated to add, you will not find Christmas desserts in May, so your husband will have to bake ginger snaps. They will taste awful because he'll use buckwheat flour and half the sugar to make them healthier. You'll eat one and you will fake fawn all over it to make your daughter happy, but you'll stifle a gag and spit it out when she's not looking. They were so gross. Ah, We are celebrating Christmas in May because of the penguin. And that probably needs a little bit of context. We have a little stuffed penguin dressed in a green and red felt elf costume. His name is Quacky. He is our family's skewed version of the elf on the shelf. I'll spare you the ridiculous story. Let's just say we misinterpreted the concept of the whole elf thing and made up our own version. He was named after a character from the now extinct interactive club penguin computer game. Again, long story and not really relevant to this story. Except to illustrate that my husband and I messed up the elf thing from the get-go, but we were already knee-deep in the lie and we just had to go with it. Here's the story. One sunny May morning, Avery woke up and decided to put on her Elf movie t-shirt just because she loves it. In turn, this wardrobe choice inspired her to search for her dad's Christmas sweater. Upon digging through his sweater drawer, she accidentally stumbled upon... I could put any number of things here. (laughs) She stumbled upon her Elf stuffed under a hoodie. Oh, holy night. With a quivering chin, she presented him to us and asked why he was there. She demanded to know why Santa had left him behind. The oh 
audacity. I avoided eye contact and remained uncharacteristically silent. I was frozen in my UGG slipper tracks. Thankfully, her dad rose to the occasion and saved the day. He told her that Quacky knew she had put on her Christmas t-shirt. He explained that the elfin penguin could sense that we all needed a pick-me-up, so he returned for one night with some holiday cheer. Who knew penguins were so intuitive? With this happy info, she wholeheartedly started planning our feast and festive activities. This turn of events is why I was suddenly combing the grocery store in May for winter holiday treats. After Christmas dinner, a few rounds of off-key carols, and an episode of Mr. Bean's Christmas, we exchanged gifts, chocolate bars I had bought as an afterthought during my festive shop. Then with a final hug, she said goodnight and goodbye to Quacky. He returned to the North Pole until Christmas, or like July, when his shitty hiding spot is discovered once again. May re-Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what happened. And I have to say, it turned out really well. Like we had, we had a good time. We had been experiencing a, a bit of a rough patch, a few months of some emotional things. And so having a special impromptu celebration was just what we needed. So Avery continued to believe in Santa after that, and she still does. So uh, yeah, as I asked before, like, should we, okay, should we tell our kids, specifically our older intellectually disabled kids, that Santa himself isn't physically real, but the magic of Christmas is real, and that we are all Santa with magic and giving in our hearts or something like that? I'm, I'm totally torn. Like I want her to remain a child forever and to never experience um, just disillusionment or disappointment of any kind, right? I know that's not realistic, but my other concern is that if she knows the truth, then asking her to keep that secret from her friends, many of whom still believe in Santa, I think that's a pretty big and unfair ask. Um, and, and is keeping the myth going a kind thing to do, or can it be considered infantilizing to some degree. Like Avery may be, she may be cognitively junior. I mean, that's not really the right word. She may be cognitively junior to her peers, but she's she is capable of comprehending big ideas if they are explained to her in the right way. I don't have any answers in this episode. I only have questions. I got a lot of questions. I would really love to know how you've handled this in your house. What did you do? What'd you say? What's happening? So with our son, he is three years older than Avery. When he started asking us if Santa was real and if we were actually Santa, we followed his lead as they tell you to do. And we sat down and we told him something to the effect of Christmas magic, being in our hearts, blah, blah, blah. And the joy of giving and that all parents and um, older siblings and grandparents are actually Santa. And we said something like, you know, now that you're older, you get to join in that special club and you get to help spread Christmas joy and magic to others. And in particular to his sister. So he would get to play the role of Santa. And, you know, we're like, it's a very big and very cool responsibility. 
So we let him in on the elf on the shelf charade too, or elf quacky on the shelf in our case. And we said it was also a very special responsibility in that he would get to be the one to move quacky in the morning and come up with all the silly scenarios. And oh my God, he took his job very seriously. (laughs) There were elf antics galore. And there was even an elf on the shelf versus the Tooth Fairy Smackdown, because that's what happens when elves and fairies are left unsupervised after dark. It is lit. He doesn't appear to be scarred many years later, and he didn't seem very disappointed at the time when he learned the truth. And I don't think that lying to him did any long-term damage. At least I hope it didn't. But you know, scientifically, behavioral studies have shown that the act of giving produces endorphins. And so humans are just hardwired to give. And because it feels great, we keep doing it. And that excitement that we feel when we have a surprise, I love that feeling. It is euphoric, right? Like now I have an image of that Kristen Wiig character. I think her name's Aunt Sue. Have you seen that one on that skit on Saturday Night Live where she's just like losing her mind? I'm trying to keep it together before there's like this surprise party. And she's like, I love a surprise party. Oh my God. So funny. I much prefer the word surprise over secret. It's just, it's a nicer word. But yeah, having a surprise is, it's a great feeling. So I think by getting him, um, giving him, what am I trying to say? I think by him having that feeling of enjoyment of being able to give and to have a surprise, plus still receiving gifts from Avery's Santa Claus and the family, it made it a win-win for him. So I guess my question now is, how do we transition Avery from being the recipient of Santa's gifts and magic to becoming a willing and um, informed participant in the magic of Christmas? Like, do we even go there? I don't know. I guess we have a few more months before next Christmas just to decide. Six months, I think. Or maybe I will just leave it alone until she's 18. Or maybe later. Or maybe sooner. I don't know. I feel like hopefully when the time is right, we'll just know. And when that time comes, we'll create a scenario where she's given the responsibility of creating magic for other people. Like things like um, secret Santa gifts and filling food bank baskets and delivering anonymous reindeer or elf gifts to to neighbors, like fun festive activities like that. And I also thought it might be helpful to sweeten the pot by bestowing other holiday responsibilities upon her, like sharing a special family Christmas dessert recipe with her and then formally informing her that she is now the keeper of this family recipe and then showing her how to make it and putting her in charge. Although I am the worst baker, like the worst. So possibly I'll pass this over to her brother. Definitely not her dad, because I'm not kidding. Those ginger snaps were revolting. <laughs> Better than mine that I could do, but but not good. And as for the tooth fairy, I think that storyline has fizzled out after she lost her last tooth. And so I'm not concerned about that anymore. But the Easter bunny though, we're going to have to have that conversation sooner rather than later, because The story of a giant bunny delivering chocolates has pretty much run its course, I think. And here's my question for you about that. Like, after explaining to you just now that I don't appreciate the lies and the secrets, I'm wondering if I can add 
just like one more tiny lie, just a little baby lie. Can I say that the Easter Bunny only delivers chocolates until the last child in the house is 16 or like whatever age we decide upon, but that we can still exchange chocolates with one another for fun and that we can still hide them for each other? Or is that also infantilizing and not giving her the credit that she deserves for being able to handle the truth? My instinct is to just tell her how it is. Tell her straight up that the Easter Bunny is just a fun story that parents tell children to make Easter more exciting, right? Because without the Easter Bunny, um, there's no chocolate and that's not fun for anybody. But that in reality, bunnies are just bunnies. They like carrots, not chocolate. And instead of searching for treats left by the Easter Bunny, she can now hide treats for us to find and put her in charge because the girl loves to be in charge. Pretty sure she gets that from me. So that's it. Those are my big thoughts and impossible questions for today. And with that, I bid you farewell and Merry Easter and Happy Halloween and Happy Festivus and all of it. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Let us know your thoughts on all of this. And uh, if you have any suggestions, that would be awesome. And we will talk to you next week. It's going to be a good one next week, I think. And we have some guests with us who will be doing the jokes of the day next time. But this week, we have our usual funny girl. It's Avery Thornbury in the house. What do you get when you mix a rabbit with a shellfish? With shellfish? Yeah. What do you get when you mix a rabbit with shellfish? And oyster bunny (laughs) an oyster bunny yes that's clamtastic thanks mom thanks for listening your support means so much to us so thank you so much for sharing the podcast and for leaving us comments and reviews we really appreciate it we are just thrilled to see this bright beautiful community growing in this way and if you know somebody who you think might enjoy this podcast perhaps a disability family or just somebody who likes to chat please send them our way. And if you'd like to leave us a comment or if you have questions or topic suggestions, you can leave us a comment on our podcast page on our website, which is linked in the show notes. Or if you want to get super fancy, you can leave us an audio message on the Anchor app. I know it's super cool. Okay. Thanks again for listening and we will talk to you soon.